for all being here. I appreciate your interest in God's Word and in the desire to get to know it better. Today we're going to talk about participles and infinitives, and those are the last two major grammatical units that we will be looking at. Next week we will start looking at tools. For instance, I have in tonight's tonight's uh, insights a whole lot of imperatives. Okay, that's great, Bruce, but how will I know an imperative? Well, next week I'll tell you about some tools that you can get. Some of them free, some of them you might want to spend for, or books, uh, apps, whatever you want, and it'll tell you. You can find out this stuff on your own. And, um, and then, of course, we're talking about uh, having a reading group to go further with learning Greek and, and uh, not only that, but also just reading through probably the gospel according to John or something like that. So, We'll get started. We'll review the alphabet. We'll review the diphthongs. That's pretty standard for the course. For the course. Yeah, it's a pun, I think. Participles and infinitives, I've told you that. We'll read from John 1. Again, just practice and insights questions. Okay, so we start with alpha and theta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, Xi, Omicron, P, Rho, Sigma, Tau, Upsilon, Phi, Chi, Psi, Omega. You know, something that came up on, you're talking about Daily Dose just a little bit ago, and he was talking about Omicron, Micron is a Greek word for small, so that's a O, a small O. Omega is O, and Omega is great. Greek word for great. Omega is the great O, and Omicron is the little O. I never, here I've been reading Greek and studying Greek for 30, no, (laughs) well, 38 years, something like that, and I just never thought about it, never thought about it. Well, you know, it's one of those things, I learned Omicron and Omega back in 80, 81, 82, and I don't usually, except for these classes, I don't usually go over the alphabet again very much. It's just uh, just not something I get into. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. All right, so now we'll, let's just go across this one. Alpha, kappa, eta, gamma, iota, omicron, xi, delta, mu, lambda, Tau, Epsilon, P, Sigma, Rho, Omega, Phi, Nu, Psi, Upsilon, Zeta, Beta, Theta, Chi. All right. You guys are doing good. You probably got these all down, too, for the diphthongs. The Alpha Iota sounds like I is in... Isle, I think somebody already said that. Uh, Epsilon iota. A is an eight or weight. Omicron iota. Oi is in foil or oil. Upsilon iota. We is in sweet. Alpha upsilon. Ow is in sauerkraut. Epsilon upsilon. U is in feud, and then Omicron Upsilon. U as in through. 
Okay. Okay. There were some questions the last time uh, that we went through this, and so I thought, well, you know, I'll just leave that slide in here and look at them. Because somebody, I think Mike, I think it was you, talked about how many different forms there were. Because we talked about the different kinds of endings, whether it's active or whether it's passive. Or sometimes you have separate between middle and passive. Sometimes middle and passive are the same. And then you've got all these different tenses. And, and so how does this work out? And I counted up uh, 363 potential forms. So rather than learn 363 words and all their different meanings, you just learn what the word means, and you, then you learn the, the charts on what the endings are, and then you can figure out what the word is without having to memorize whole, you know, 363 just to get one word. <laughs> um, that's why we learn patterns. How do I greet someone in Greek? I think that might have been, it was either you or Lenar. might have been Lenar. And... Uh, Kyrene, which is actually, this is appropriate because that's actually an infinitive. Infinitives often end with ain or I. Uh, epsilon, iota, nu, or alpha, iota. Um, but that's the formal method. It means to rejoice, to be glad. And here's different places where that's used. It's a present active infinitive. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we get into it. Informal, you can just say Chaire, and that's used by Gabriel to Mary in Luke one twenty eight, and Judas when he kissed Jesus, and various other times. It's a, it's an imperative. So it, this is saying to rejoice, and this says rejoice. This have the basic same meaning, but one is imperative, like a command, and the other one is an infinitive to rejoice, to be glad. And that's how you do it. And a bonus one, uh, two, Esten, Lutron. So where's the bathroom? <laughs> poo, poo is where. That's something I learned from Dr. Plummer on Daily Dose. He said, poo. He said, anytime you say poo, you want to ask where because you don't want to step in it. <laughs> so an easy way to remember that word. So where it is, Esten is it is. It could be he is, she is, it is, but it, it's uh, it's going to be third person singular. And then does that sound like anything? Lutron sounds like a latrine, doesn't it? Well, that's where we get it. And so it's not really that hard uh, when you have a few helpers there. All right, just for fun, Scrooge is paid a visit by the ghost of Christmas past participle. He goes, you, Mr. Scrooge, have been, that's your past participle right there, you have been bad, very. So very is a, a modifier for bad, very bad. You have been very bad. And he's no, not sentence diagrams. <laughs> that was the purpose of the ghost, to scare him anyway, right? So anyway, just for fun. Okay, participles. We looked at the ghost of past participle. Uh, participles are verbal adjectives. We have two participles in English, present, which usually is identified ing, like swimming or running or studying or even being. Uh, that's not to be confused with our English gerunds. Other languages, uh, Greek doesn't have gerunds. Hebrew doesn't have gerunds, really. Uh, a gerund is where you just use an ing word as a noun, such as in the sentence, seeing is believing. Both of those are used as nouns, but they're both verbal seeing and believing seeing is believing 
Uh, in Greek, there is no gerund. They would use infinitives, uh, which we'll be talking about later today, uh, this evening. And they would say, to see is to believe. So it would be infinitives to accomplish that. So the past participles are been and gone. Uh, just like uh, Mr. Scrooge, you have been. Okay, that's a past participle. Uh, passive participles in English often end with the ed, like moved to tears, she left the room. Participles can be used as an adjective, such as the sleeping giant. What kind of giant is it? Which giant is it? It's the sleeping one. It's like an adjective, um, but it's but it's actually a participle acting as an adjective. It can be used as a predicate, saying that the giant is sleeping. Um, still a participle. But it's used uh, as a part of the predicate, part of the part of the verbal idea, and substantively, which means being used as a noun. And you can say the one who is sleeping. In a sentence uh, like "while eating," they're all talking about English right now. While eating, he saw her. English requires that the he is the one who is eating because he, quote-unquote, is closer in the word order to the participle. While eating, he, since he is right next to it, he's the one doing the eating. So he, he was eating and saw her. If the sentence were, he saw her while eating, then the her is the closest to the participle. Her is right next to the participle. Her is doing the eating. I know that doesn't make good English, but... <laughs> It helps you see how we use participles in English. As we've seen in the past, participles are no different. Word order is very critical in English to be understood. Uh, not all participles are understood. They have what we, we have what they call dangling participles, which are actually kind of humorous. It's a participle intended to modify a noun that is actually not present, or it does not modify the intended noun. And this is not good English. This is inappropriate. But here's some that are kind of entertaining. After rotting in the cellar for weeks, my brother brought up some apples. Okay, was the brother rotting in the cellar for weeks? That's what this sounds like, but it's obviously a reference to the apples. So it's in this case, the, 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 the intended noun was brother, and it is there. However, the next one, caution pedestrian, slippery when wet. We don't have, it's obviously talking about a street, a sidewalk, a bridge. Something we don't know what it doesn't say, but uh, makes you feel like uh, you're saying that pedestrians are like grease pigs. You know? <laughs> they're hard to catch because they're caution pedestrians slippery when wet. Well, it's not the pedestrians that are slippery when wet. Uh, oh, and the the bolded words here after rotting that's the participle. When wet is the participle. Sleeping in this one. This is actually a quote from Shakespeare of all people. Sleeping in my orchard, a serpent stung me. Well. The rules of English say that the serpent is the one doing the sleeping in the orchard, but that's not the intended mod noun to be modified. It should be me. As I was sleeping in the orchard, a serpent stung me. But that's from Hamlet, Act 1. Backpacking in the woods, our dog ran off. Backpacking is the participle, and the missing noun is we. We were backpacking in the woods and our dog ran off, but it makes it sound like the dog was out backpacking and ran off. Her big nose pointing into the sky, she missed the, her plane. Well, <laughs> whose, whose big nose was it? The woman who missed the plane or the nose of the airplane? Hopefully it's the nose of the airplane. <laughs> Hopefully not so, somebody's not being intentionally cruel here. 
So don't do that, dangling participles. It only leads to confusion. The participle is a... Con- now we're turning our attention from English to Greek participles. The participle is a complex part of the Greek language with many rules for translation, which are beyond the scope of this class. Um, that would be something you'd get into a first year or and even a second year, uh, a Greek class. Participles are one of Greek's most distinguishing characteristics. They are common and important. See an English example for how Greek participles are used on the middle of page 26. And answer the question, what is the main verb? Page 26, middle of the page. It's a little bit smaller font. Already having noticed the handsome young man and wondering who he was and if he had noticed her and having had her plans to sign up for Greek in order to sit near him, foiled by his signing up for Hebrew, and although she thought her chances were finished with him because he embarrassed her by catching her in her curlers on Saturday morning, she was surprised when he stopped her to ask if he could escort her to the freshman mixer the start of something which she hoped would last until death do them part. There's a whole lot going on in that. That's a very long sentence. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the reason why it sounds like Paul's is because he was writing in Greek. And this is, and this is the way they use participles. So participles, yeah, that's something you can get a lot of practice on when you're uh, reading, especially like the letters. But uh, oh, I was reading, I remember I reading through... Uh, was it, it was either first or second Peter, and I, and I, every once in a while I would rejoice because I found a verb <laughs> instead of a participle. Just you know, really, really heavily laden with participles. Well, I'll just go ahead and give it to you. The main verb, the main thing here in this whole sentence is she was surprised. That was is the verb, but she was surprised. Everything else is external, participial type stuff going on around it. So that's uh, just an example of what you'll run into, just like Mike said. When you're reading Paul, especially, you see these long, long sentences with, with all these participles. Um, and so in Greek, you uh, actually, well, we'll cover that. I don't have to go into that yet. We'll cover it. It's in a slide. The Greek participle, like English, is a verbal adjective. The Greek participle shares characteristics of both verbs and adjectives. As an adjective, the participle has case. Case tells you how it's used in the sentence. Is it nominative, which means it's probably the subject or or predicate nominative or something like that, but a good chance that it's going to be a subject of the sentence? Uh, Or is it uh, it the object, direct object, or is it the indirect object? And so that's what you're going to get from case. Okay? And if it's modifying a noun, then it's also going to match. You know, if you have this dative... Um, participle, you're, it's, and if it's modifying it, you'll find it modifying a dative noun. Um, so, this, whereas you have like our dangling participles, for instance, you have confusion, um, or even things in the Bible like Jesus talking to a group of people, whether it be the scribes, the Pharisees, the crowds, and it says, um, how how would you put that? Like answering, which is a um, participle, uh, or saying. Well, how do you know what the saying is? Who's saying? Well, if it's Jesus, it's going to be masculine singular, because but the crowd is going to be a masculine plural. And so it's real easy to tie the participles to the noun that it goes with. Uh, if you have something, statements about a crowd and statement about an individual, 
Well, anything that's a participle dealing with a crowd, they're going to be plural. Anything that's dealing with an individual is going to be the other, the, per, the other person in the story where this is happening. So it really is a good thing. So case, that's what case is. Gender, of course, is going to be feminine, masculine, or neuter. And number, singular or plural. So the participle is going to be inflected. In other words, something's going to be added to it, an ending, something in the middle. There's going to be stuff added to it to make these things clear, how it's being used. It's inflected, inflected for all three of these characteristics, case, gender, number. There is no vocative case for participles. You don't use a participle as a direct address. Um, the case gender number will tie the participle to the noun. I already said that, being modified. So who did the speaking, an individual or a crowd? As a verb, the participle has tense. And since this is not a verb in the indicative mood, it has no, nothing to do with time when, um, as, a, as an indicative verb would. The principal part of the tense is the type of action. Now, participles, well, that's another slide. Uh, we'll keep going. <laughs> Uh, as a verb, the participle has tense, type of action, and voice, active, middle, or passive. Active means the subject's doing it. Middle means the subject is acting either for or upon itself. And passive means the action is happening to the subject. Verb attributes. Okay, we looked at adjectives. Uh, since the indicative mood is the only place where time when is relevant in tense, the participle tense does not carry a notion of time when. However, participles do designate relative time relative to the main verb. And so we often, any, most any time you're reading through one of the Gospels or through Acts, you know, kind of a historical narrative type situation, you'll see things like while speaking or after speaking. And what they're trying to do is communicate what this participle's relationship to the verb is. Now that's, that's how the English translator is, is trying to convey that. Uh, we'll look at that a little bit more in the next slide. When time when is not, since time when is not part of the participle, and the main point of the tense is a type of action, there are fewer tenses for participles. We don't have to have seven tenses. All we need are three. Uh, well, there's a fourth one, but we'll talk about that too. Uh, so we only need to have one tense for each type of action because it's all about, in this case, tense is all about the type of action. The present participle represents continuous action. So that would be like while speaking. While speaking, somebody approached him and said, can you come heal my servant or something like that. While it's, it's, it's uh, showing ongoing action while speaking. The aorist participle indicates undefined action uh, occurring prior to the time of the main verb after speaking. The perfect participle represents completed and perfective. Remember when we drew those out, we had the... Um, Present was a line or a series of dots uh, to indicate continual or repeated action. The, we had the, uh, just a, a circle for the heiress because it's undefined. It, it could be 400 years. It could be 30 days. It could be uh, 10 minutes. It, it, it could be any. It's, it's just looking at the whole thing in one, in one completed, uh, well, not even completed. That's not the wrong. It's not, it's not defining a beginning or an end or anything like that. It just looks at it as in one uh, summary type statement. Uh, so, yeah, after speaking. It's undefined action occurring prior to the time of the neighbor. All right. And then the perfect participle, that was a circle with a line hanging out of it because it represents a completed action with an ongoing state or an ongoing effect. 
And so the perfect participle has the same type of um, action. It represents completed and perfective ongoing state or effect action. One cannot know if the verb complete is completed unless the perfect tense is used because it's, it says it was completed and then there's a result afterwards. All three tenses have active middle passive voices, subject doing it, happening to the subject, middle is uh, subject acting on or to on behalf of, of himself. It is often difficult to translate the types of action in English. This is another advantage to knowing Greek and um, just for additional insight, it's an advantage to know Greek for additional insight and to be able to communicate this nuance in teaching and in commentaries, etc. Because it's just sometimes difficult. It, you can come up with some very awkward English trying to communicate every type of action in all these situations. Uh, participles and infinitives, which we'll be looking at in a minute. There is a future participle. It only occurs 12 times in the New Testament. It's used to describe what is purposed, intended, or expected uh, in the future. And the 12 verses are listed at the, well, the next to the last paragraph on page 26. Greek participles, examples, adjectival. As an adjective, a participle can modify a noun, like the consuming fire. What kind of fire? It's the consuming fire. It's used as an adjective, but it's a participle. Or it can be used as a substantive, taking the place of the noun, the one who consumes. The attributive use of the participle requires a definite article, just like the adjective. And so we have some examples here from Matthew 2.7, John 4.11, and Mark 6.44. There's the article, to, so that's the. And then this is shining, and asteris. One way to remember that one is Fred Astaire was a star. So you see asteros, you know, that's... Okay, that's a star. I don't think he was necessarily, I don't know, he may have been named after I don't know. Uh, I doubt it. But it's just a way to remember Asteros as a star. But what kind of star? The shining one. Here's a participle. It's got the definite article. So this is an attributive. It's saying this is an attribute of the star. What kind of star? It's the shining star. John 4.11, the water, the living. And so it's got the definite article. And it's got the participle. And so what kind of water is it? It's the living water. This is identifying a characteristic of the water. It's an adjective modifying the noun. Mark 6.44, we have, and they were the ones eating. Okay, this is uh, the definite article. It is masculine plural, nominative masculine plural. So this is the subject. This is a case where... The ones eating the bread, that's the subject of the sentence. The ones eating the bread, or the, the loaves, it's actually plural, the breads, the loaves. The ones eating the loaves, they were uh, 5,000 men. And so here's a, this is a, an example of a substantive, 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 <laughs> uh, participle, which is also the subject of a sentence. Participles can modify verbs, uh, which makes them adverbial. There's adverbial uses to participles. Uh, as an adverb, uh, the participle can act as a predicate. The fire is consuming. You know, we looked at the consuming fire as an attribute of the fire, and we looked at the, the one that is consuming. That's the substantive as a noun. Uh, as a predicate, is saying the fire is consuming. 
Adverbial participles are always anarthrous. Anarthrous means does not have the article. Okay? And so here's some examples. This is a verb. Uh, he, she, or it came. In the tick context, it is she. So she came. How did she come? Trembling. So trembling is modifying the verb came. It's how she came. She came trembling. That's Luke 8, 47. Acts 5, 41. We see that uh, they went out. How did they go out? Rejoicing. So they went out rejoicing. So this is the verb. This is the participle. There's no definite article in either one of these. And so it is, they went out rejoicing. So adverbial use of the participle. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how they look. How do you recognize them? We're not going to look at all the different kinds of participles. But just to give you an idea of how the inflection works, because that's all we're going for here is to understand this concept of inflection, how the Greek work, language works, and they do it by putting stuff together and adding it to the word. As you would expect, the use of Greek participles are identified by their inflection. They are formed on verbs uh, to which the participial morpheme, a morpheme is the smallest unit of meaning in the formation of a word, which like in English a past tense might be ed, that'd be a morpheme, uh, case endings are added. So we have present, aorist, and perfect, Lou, Lou, Lou. So this is loosed. We don't know who loosed or anything. This is just the stem, Lou. Uh, when you look it up in your Strong's Concordance, you can, might see the word Luo, but it's going to give you the definition for this. It doesn't. All the rest of this stuff has been scraped off. It doesn't give you the benefit of all that. It only tells you what the stem can mean. Somebody asked me about that. How do you know? When you look at the Strong's Concordance, you see about ten definitions, and how do you know which one to use? I said, well, you need to recognize that they stripped off everything that's telling you how it's used, <laughs> and they're just giving you the basic definition of the the stem of the of the verb. In that case, this is lu. So in present, we have a lu. We add a connecting vowel, omicron. There it is. There is the participial morpheme, uh, nit, new tau, and then finally the ending s. And so this is a present active nominative masculine plural. Uh, Luantes. Um, so whoever it was, it was more than one, so it would be they loosing. We're, we're loosing. And then for aorist, we still start with lu. That's the verb. That's the part of the verb that doesn't change. Oftentimes in aorist, you'll see a sigma added, and so we have the, this connecting sigma alpha. There's the nit again, uh, which should be green. Ah, oh, I just did that today because I was changing a font. Well, I shot myself in the foot. It should be green like that one. This is the morpheme that tells you it's a participle, and then at the, the end of it is the same. So the difference between present and aorist in this case is simply is a, a connecting of an omicron or connecting of a sigma alpha. And then for perfect, a lot of perfects, uh, verbs and such will have an it tense infix kappa, and the participle does too, and it's got an omicron tau. And then the ending is the same. And the ending still tells you it's masculine plural. So uh, that's how you build a participle. It's all done through inflection. This is the inflection. You have connecting vowels. You have endings. You have a, a uh, participial morpheme. Um, and I think I had 
Maybe some more examples on that. Maybe not. I can't remember. No, it looks like I just have the same examples on page 27, which did not change colors. Still red. Yeah, that's all. But that's okay. Again, we're not trying to learn how to put it all together. All we want to see is how can we tell if it's a participle? Well, those are the types of things you learn. It's done through inflection, and this is an example of inflections for each one of the tenses. Summary of Greek participles. Greek participles can have accompanying parts of speech, like the article, an adjective, or a preposition. Greek participles are more specific than English participles, as I was talking about, you know, who's doing what. When you have an interaction of an individual in a crowd, how can you tell? Well, it's because the participle will indicate that it's plural, and the participle will indicate if it's singular. So it's much more specific. You're able to tie them together. Uh, tense, in the case of a participle, is all about the type of action. Uh, there are over a dozen uses for the verbal participles, uh, and that's something we won't get into. Um, but it just has a wide usage, or a wide range of usage, I should say. Uh, suffice it to say, as we've seen with adjectives, pronouns, and prepositions, you have to look at the words around the participle to see what's there, what is not, determine the use of the participle, how it should be translated. We didn't look at a lot of that, but we did look at whether it has an article or not to tell whether it's a, an attributive that's giving attribute, attribute, like the sleeping giant, or whether it's a predicate saying the giant is sleeping. Infinitives. Infinitive is a verbal noun. We just got through looking at verbal adjectives. Now we're looking at verbal nouns. So basically it makes a noun out of a verb. It is easily recognized in English because it's usually preceded with to. Uh, as a subject, it's used to study. Okay, To study, Greek is my goal. So that's the subject. To study, that's an infinitive. It's also the subject of the sentence. To study Greek is my goal. Uh, as an object, I would be the subject. Learned is the verb to swim. So this is the object. I learned to swim, a direct object. Um, and we're going to look at this one a little bit more when we get into the insights. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay? Uh, both of those are infinitives. They are not identical. And we will look at that in the insights. Greek infinitives. The Greek infinitive has the same uses in English, but as you may suspect, it is capable of a wide range of usage, about 13 usages. Like a verb, it has tense and voice, but not mood, person, or number. Not officially. Um, however, sometimes an article will accompany it, and the article will identify it as neuter singular. And so we'll know that it's uh, um, that much about it anyway. And it always is neuter singular, uh, the, the infinitives. They don't always have articles. In fact, it's probably, I don't know what the ratio would be, but I'd say that infinitives show up without articles more than they do with the articles. Let's see. It can stand as a noun, and it can be articular, okay, as the article. And... Uh, we can determine the case by the definite article, which will always have a gender of neutral and number of singular. Most Greek infinitives end with ain or I. You may want to write that in your notes. That is not in your notes. I probably ought to go back and put it in. But most infinitives end with either ain, epsilon, iota, nu, or I, alpha, iota. 
I'll leave it on that for just a little bit. Um, as I've gone through the notes, I've come up with things to change on it. When we get done with the class, I'm going to put all of the updated notes into a PDF, and if I have your email address, I can send it to you uh, once the class is over, and I'm sure that I'm not going to change anything else, <laughs> at least till the, till the next time I, I uh, do this class. Okay, has everybody got it? Most Greek infinitives end with either ain or I. And we'll see that in some of our examples. We've got some examples coming up. Everybody got that? Okay. And that was new, Joy. That wasn't in your notes last time either. <laughs> okay. The infinitive has three tenses, like the participle. Uh, tense is all about type of action, not time when, but it has present for continuous action or is to continually study, or aorist, undefined action, is just as to study, and perfect uh, which is completed perfective action, as in to have studied. The nuance of the action is usually difficult to translate into good English. So this is another place where you can get insights from looking at the Greek text and find out what kind of an infinitive is it. A lot of times in translations you can't even tell you're looking at an infinitive, to be honest. Um, well, we'll look at that. That's, I have an example of that in the insights. We'll look at that. Uh, let's see. Again, time when is not an issue because it's not related to the indicative mood. Time when is only a part of tense in the indicative mood. And the voice can be active, middle, or passive. That's whether the subject's doing the action, receiving the action, or acting upon himself. Okay. So here's some examples of infinitives, Greek infinitives. Udes, no one. See, it's even... Remember, ooh, we talked about ooh, may, way back at the beginning of the course. Uh, that's not, and then des is one, so no one, not one, is able to lords to serve. There's the infinitive. There's ain at the end of it, so we can tell it's an infinitive. This is a present infinitive, so it means continual action. You have two managers. Manager A comes up, manager, the first manager comes up and says, I want you to work on project A. You're working on Project A, and later in the day, your other manager comes up and says, I, I need you to get right on to Project B. And say, well, uh, Manager 1 told me to work on A, and he says, well, I need you to be on B. So you start working on B. Manager A comes by and says, what are you doing? I need you to work on A. I mean, how, how long would you want a job like that? <laughs> you can't continually. Sir. You can... For a short time, serve both masters, work on A for a little while, work on B for a little while, but you can't, you know, continually serve two masters. So this is continual action. Duluain. Uh, Duluain. To serve. So here's a, that was Matthew 6.24. Aorist uh, example is Matthew 1.20. Uh, not fear to take. There's the ain. This is a, a uh, infinitive. And this is an aorist. It's not saying anything about the type of action or how long or anything else. It's just in a summary type form to take. Do not fear to take Mary as the wife of you. Okay? So it's undefined action. It's aorist. Um, 
And uh, as a bonus, we talked about this two weeks ago in our last meeting because we had a snow day or ice day or something last week. Uh, we talked about this in the uh, insights that this is an aorist subjunctive. So when you have a negative aorist subjunctive, that is saying don't even start thinking about it. Don't even start. Remember that? Uh, it forbids... Uh, it forbids an action to even start taking place. So that's a double uh, double bonus there. So we have a present, aorist, and perfect. They heard the word this. I have it highlighted because this actually goes with sign. This is the sign, this sign. Uh, they heard him to have done or to had done the sign. This is from John 12:18, referring to the sign being raising Lazarus from the dead. And um, this, the sign, um, this is a perfect participle, and it goes with this, the sign. The highlighted words go together. Uh, they heard him to have done this sign. Jesus did. It was a completed action in the past, this sign of resurrection. And the ongoing effect was that Lazarus was still alive. Uh, that was still a sign, the fact that he was still alive. Now, the New King James says, For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done. Well, there you go. They have put in through he had done. They are communicating the perfective action of this infinitive. However, it no longer looks like an infinitive. Infinitive. It wouldn't be like to to have done. It's, it's but it, it's just hard to render it, communicating all of that in English. And so they said, okay, I think we're good enough to just say uh, we're going to carry the action over. And it doesn't always happen this way. But uh, in this particular verse, they carried over the action, but not the fact that it was an infinitive. All right. All right, ready to read? This should all be starting to sound familiar. I thought about trying to go farther, and I thought, well, the whole purpose of doing this is to get used to it, feel better about it, um, become more acquainted with it. After the infinitive page, there's still two more pages in your book, and that is the first, oh, eight verses or so, I think. Seven, eight, yeah, eight verses of John, which we'll go through nine up here. But since we've talked about every major part of speech, um, I've given you kind of an interlinear here. I don't do them more than once. For instance, I have logos on the first line. Well, the second line, and I also have ain on the first line. But when I come to ha logos ain, I don't put anything underneath it because it's Ain looks exactly on the second line like it does the first line. Halagos looks exactly the same as it does on the first line. So therefore, the ha is still the definite article. It's still nominative masculine singular. The uh, logos is still nominative masculine singular. Still a noun. Ain is still a verb. It's still imperfect active indicative third person singular. And so I don't always bring it down every time it occurs, but I don't drop it until you've seen it once. And so I've just gone through and picked out every single thing, um, every type of speech that's represented in the first eight verses. And why eight? Because that's all that fit on the two pages. Uh, I didn't want to go to another page. Um, but that's there for your 
for you to view and say, oh, okay, well, arche, okay, that's a noun. It's dative. Oh, okay, that's why the iota subscript is there under the eta. And just that sort of thing. It's just for you to help to get more familiar with it. So let's go ahead and read John 1, uh, probably nine verses. Do you want to say it with me or do you want to repeat it after me? How, how confident do you feel? After me? Okay, that's fine. I just want you to get used to it, look at it, get used to hearing it. Uh, we were talking earlier about this uh, um, service, a uh, ministry called Daily Dose of Greek, and they go through a verse. Right now we're going through book, the book of Revelation. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the book of Revelation. But he has the text on the screen. He'll read it and highlight it as he goes, and you can hear it. He does a pretty good job with the pronunciations, and, um, he's, a, and he's a good teacher. So uh, it's really worth signing up. You can sign up for emails. They'll send you an email every day with a link to the to the video. Or you can download the app, and it has everything. So if you want to go back and say, I want to start at the beginning of the book of Revelation, you can get the app and go back through all of that. It makes it real easy to use the app. Um, but it kind of works the same way. You can say it after him. You can say it with him. You can, you can just do the same type of thing. It's a good way to practice. So, N, Arche, Ain. Ha, Lagos, Kai, Ha, Lagos, Ain, Pros, Tan, Theon, Kai, Theos, Ain, Ha, Lagos, Hutos, Ain, N, Arche, Pros, Tan, on Panta, Di, Autu, Aginata, Kai, Choris, Autu, Aginata, Ude, Hen, Ha, Geganon, uh, Geganin, sorry, Geganin, N, Auto, Zoe, Ain, Kai, Hey, Zoe, Ain, Ta, Phos, Tone, Anthropon, Kai, Ta, Phos, N, Te, Skatia, Fine, Kai, Hey, Skatia, Auta, U, Katelaben, Aginata, Anthropos, Apostel Menos, Apostela Menos, Apostel Menos, yeah, Apostel Menos, Para, Theu, Anima, Auto Ioannes. Every vowel next to a vowel is a separate syllable. Ioannes. John. Hutas. Aelfen. Ace. Marcherion. Hina. Marcherese. Peri. Two, Photos, 
hina pantes pistusosan de autu uk ein akenos ta fos al hina marcherese peri tu Photos. Ain. Ta. Fos. Ta. Alethinon. Alethinon, I'm sorry. Alethinon. Ha. Fotidze. Panta. Anthropon. Erchamenon. Ace. Ton. Cosmon, coming into the world. All right. Now we'll go on to the insights. Uh, The last time we met, we went over verbs. And I said, verbs are so big, we can't do justice to insights by just looking at insights on verbs one time. And so we will look at some participles, and we'll look at some infinitives, uh, but I'm going to spend a lot more time on verbs. And next week, we're going to talk about, as I said, tools, uh, apps, books, websites. Uh, but when we get done and we have insights, I'm going to go back to verbs again. <laughs> I guess we just, verbs and, uh, and insights, it's, Greek verbs are just rich with insight. And so, um, so we had insights on verbs last week. I'm going to do ver- insights on verbs. This time, I'm going to, we looked at, uh, well, this time we're going to look at imperatives. Uh, imperative is yet we have four moods. We have um, indicative, which is more like a statement of fact, or at least is presented that way. Subjunctive, which is in the realm of probability. Optative, which is in the realm of possibility. And then imperatives. So we're going to look at the imperatives mood uh, tonight. So this is a continuation of insights from verbs from last week. The third-person imperatives are often translated let him for third person, let him, and first person as let us, first person plural, uh, which can be easily confused in English with the permissive idea. However, the force of the mood is more of the he must or we must type of uh, force, must. Um, not every let falls into this category. There's times where it's let because maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's a subjunctive and it's saying he should do this, and it's it's not a an imperative. Um, some of the tools that we're looking at next week will t- show you whether if you say, well, here it says let us. Now is this an imperative or not? Then you can go to one of these tools and look it up and say, oh, it is an imperative. It's not let him. It is he must. It's uh, much stronger, and that's one of the things I've tried to really hone in on. And, and the insights are places where there's an emphasis or there is a uh, uh, some force to it that you just don't easily pick up on in the English translations. So we're going to look at some of these. This is not exhaustive. It may be exhaustive for you. It's not really exhaustive for me. I, I love it. But uh, it, by when I say it's not exhaustive, I mean it's, this is not a complete list. This is We're not going through everything. We don't have time for that. Um, so James 1.5, the New King James Version. That's probably what I'm just going to I'm not picking on New King James, but uh, I just want a starting place and and uh, 
here at Calvary Chapel, that's the version that Pastor Tom teaches out of. Mostly when I teach, I teach out of the New King James also. So it's the kind of thing that people around here are familiar with. So that's, that's, it's not that I'm deliberately picking on it to say, look how bad it is. I'm not saying any of these major translations are bad. I'm just saying it is difficult to convey some of these things in good English that's going to be readable and understandable when you're reading your Bible. And, uh, that's why it's uh, good to understand these things in Greek. Because uh, when you see Greek, when you learn about Greek, then you find out there are these points of emphasis. There are these points of precision, and uh, and it's good to know about it. So, New King James, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This should not be understood as permissive or a simple urging. It means, let's see, do I have that down here? Yeah, I do. If... And, put that first, this is a post-positive, so it always comes second. De is always post-positive. So, and, if anyone of you, of y'all, um, lack, he, he lacks wisdom. There's another word you should probably know, sophios. Does that sound familiar? Sophia. Um, philosophy, for instance, a lover of wisdom, Philosophy. Uh, so anyway, that's another Greek word that you already know, Sophias. If you're lacking wisdom, itato, itato. That's a present active imperative, third person singular. This is an imperative. It is third person singular, but it's imperative. He must ask. Uh, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, he must ask. Lacking wisdom in the midst of trials does not give one the option, but rather the obligation to ask for wisdom. He must ask for wisdom. First Timothy 4.12, New King James says, let no one despise your youth. Okay, does this mean that you, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth? Or is it a command to others not to despise your youth? And we look at this and, uh, and it says, uh, not one of you, um, the youth of no, not one, the youth of you, he must not despise. It is, you could say, let him not despise. That sounds like you're granting permission, but it's actually stronger than that. This is to everybody else. It's not a command to Timothy. It's a command to everybody else. You must not despise his youth. Okay? From the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five thirty-one and 37, New King James, let him... Give her a certificate. Of course, he's quoting the Old Testament here. Moses said, let him give her a certificate of verse. Well, of divorce. Let him, as sounds way too mild, he must. If he's going to divorce his wife, he had to give her a certificate of divorce. It wasn't allowing. That's something that was a, excuse me, a command. He must. And then down in verse 37, New King James, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. But it should have the force, we should understand the force of it to be, but your word, it must be yes, yes, and no, no, for whatever else is uh, from the evil one. Matthew eleven fifteen. he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This, again, is an imperative. He who has ears to hear, he must hear. It's a command to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Oops, didn't go. There. Okay, did it only go one? Yeah, okay. Matthew sixteen twenty four. 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is suggesting here how we're to follow. No, he's not. He is giving a command. It's an imperative. If anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It is not a prerogative to do something other than that. That is what it takes to follow Jesus. Jesus draws a really hard line on that. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Romans 14, 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, this is an imperative. All of these are imperatives. He must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whether you decide you want to celebrate the Sabbath, whether you want to celebrate the Lord's Day, whether you want to exalt the Lord every day of the week, you've got to be you know, fully convinced in your own mind. You must be convinced in your own mind. And nobody has the right to judge. This isn't a sin issue. We were talking about this uh, last week in the men's meeting about what we're going through Corinthians and about we have to confront a brother who is living in sin. This is not sin. <laughs> if he wants to eat meat or doesn't want to eat meat, that's not sin. And that's not the kind of thing we confront one another on. In, in Corinthians where we're studying, it was the man who was uh, living in immorality with his father's wife. Well, okay, that is definitely a sin and that's what we have to confront. And we're not excused from that responsibility of talking to that brother about it. But in this case, uh, we, this is something that's personal between us, and it's okay to say, I'm going to exalt the Lord every day. Or another guy says, I, I'm going to celebrate both the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. Or whatever you decide to do, it's not a sin issue. Uh, whatever you do, do it to the Lord, for the Lord. Uh, okay, we've talked about that already. First uh, Corinthians one thirty one, uh, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Okay, it's he must glory in the Lord. If you're going to glory, that's what you have to do: glory in the Lord. Ephesians five thirty three. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. This isn't a suggestion for husbands to love their wives. He must love his wife as himself deacons but let those also be first be tested then let them serve as deacons deacons must be tested before they should be allowed to be serving as deacons first timothy 5:16 if any believing man or woman has widows he must relieve them the widows and not let the church be burdened the church can take care of widows but if you if you have a widow you should be doing it yourself you must do it and not let the church be burdened 1 Timothy 5:17 Let the elders who rule well be counted double, worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. We must count the elders who rule well and labor in the word and the doctrine. We must give them double honor. It's an imperative. Hebrews 1:6 But he, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. They must. The angels of God must worship him. Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love must continue. And then Revelation, 12, uh, Revelation 2, 7, and of course, it says this at the end of every letter to all seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He must hear. If you have ears, you must hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So we still have more insights from verbs. We're not going to do more imperatives. It'll be a whole other category of things. Um, I think we've pretty well nailed that one down uh, when you have an imperative and a, a third person singular or, well, or first person plural or whatever. Uh, when you have something other than a second person imperative, uh, I think we've got that one pretty well. But we'll look at some more insights. We'll, we'll look at... Um, Conditional statements. That's a pretty cool thing, too, uh, next week. All right. Now we'll go ahead and look at tonight's material. <laughs> uh, Philippians 121. This is infinitives. I know we talked about uh, participles first, but I'm going to do infinitives. And we'll, we'll do some participle, looking at some participle examples later. Uh, combination. Philippians 121. We talked about this a little bit for... Another word, gar, is another post-positive. It always comes second. In English, we have to move it to the front. For to me, to, uh, to live is Christ, and to die, gain. Okay? The first infinitive, to live, is present active infinitive. It's continual action. To live. Every day, we get up. We die to ourselves. To live is Christ, to live for Christ. That's something we do all of our lives, and uh, as long as we uh, are saved, it'll be our profound privilege to serve him forever because uh, he deserves it after all he's done for us. And so to live is continual action, but you don't see that when you just read, Do I have, yeah, for me to live is Christ and die is gain, is the New King James Version, and we don't get that this is continual and this is undefined. And to die, well, you could be dying over the course of five years. I hope not. Might be uh, prostate cancer, and it takes 15 years before you finally die of it. You know, <laughs> or it could be, you know, a heart attack, and you're dead within, you know, a minute or something. We don't know. It's, it's undefined what the length of time is to die. But when we die, we get to be with Jesus, and that's a good thing. Participles. Matthew 18, 18, New King James. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is really an amazing piece of authority that Jesus gave his disciples. Uh, no, that's not the case. <laughs> this isn't authority he gave his disciples. Uh, We'll go back, the next slide, we'll go back to chapter 16 and look at just Peter. But in this context, chapter 18, he's talking to all those disciples. So what does it say? Truly, I say to you all, to y'all, um, as many as ever, you may, this is subjunctive, you may bind upon the earth, it will be, this is future, got a sigma. It will be, this is perfect, having been bound in heaven. And as many as ever, you may loose, again subjunctive, um, upon the earth. We have the same future again. It will be, and see the dupli reduplication, and this one is lelu. Mena, this is Dede Mena. When you see the first two repeated, that is usually a good clue that you're looking at a perfect. 
And so it's saying, it will be having been loosed in heaven. So he's not giving them authority to bind and loose things on earth and heaven. He is saying, if you do, by chance or perchance or whatever, not um, if it comes up where you have to, if you should bind or loose anything on earth, it will have already been bound in heaven or loosed in heaven. What I see out of this is that, God, uh, that Jesus is promising his disciples divine guidance when it comes to making decisions as a church, that he would give divine guidance that if you said this is not, uh, it's not to-, to be tolerated, that uh, we would find out later that it had not been tolerated in heaven all along. <laughs> it was already done before that. Okay? I think this is truly, I say to you as many as, okay, yeah, it will it will be having been bound and it will be having been loosed. Okay? So what about Peter? Chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, a lot of the same, some slight differences. Uh, I will give, there's the sigma, this is the future. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom uh, of the heavens, in this case it's plural, and whatever you may loose, I mean bind, you may bind upon the earth, it will be, there it is, there's the future, it's got a sigma, that's the future, here we have reduplication, it's a perfect, it will be having been bound in the heavens, plural again, and whatever you may lose, it's subjunctive again, upon the earth, and here's the future again, it will be, and there's the perfect, the luminon, uh, it will be having been loosed in the heavens, if heavens is plural again. And so it's basically saying the same thing, uh, the same way, it's not a, not a presentation of power and authority, it's a promise of divine guidance. Again, very difficult to see in an English translation. More on participles here. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right, we have three participles. Um, the first one here is this says unveiled face prosopon here prosopon here is the face and it's uh, having been okay it's passive perfect passive there's the reduplication see kekka this is a compound word this is a um, preposition added to the front. There's the perfect. So this is having been removed from the face. The veil having been remaced, having been removed from the face. And so it is perfective action. The veil has been taken off. The veil is still off. All right? If you're, once you're saved, the veil has been removed. In fact, I would even go so far as to say perhaps the veil was in the process of being removed at the time that you knew that you needed to come to Jesus, all right? So so this is a perfect passive participle. 
the veil was removed and is still removed. Okay? And then, uh, beholding. This is a present participle. And it is continually beholding. Uh, continually beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The same image, you've heard of icon, haven't you? This is acon, acona, uh, but that's where we get the word icon. But the same image, um, and here again we have a present passive. This is continual action happening to us. And you might recognize that word too, metamorphumatha, 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 yep. Obviously, we get the word metamorphosis from it. And so we are being continually changed into his image. From glory, from glory. You've heard of doxology. Doxes is glory, from glory to doxon, glory. The dox is the uh, main root of the word there. From glory to glory. Uh, just as from the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. So, what do we do with that? The veil is removed. The veil is still off. We are continually gazing, uh, continually beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we are continually doing that, and present passive, we are continually being changed to that image. So what's 2 Corinthians 3.18 saying? How can we continually behold or gaze in a mirror the glory of the Lord? The reflection is in his word. That is where we see him and his glory revealed. Now, God's glory is revealed in nature. Paul says so in Romans chapter 1. The psalmist says so in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. But that's not quite enough. When you look at Psalm 19, and he says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the most elemental word for God is used, ale. The most basic, non-definitive word that can ever be used for God, ale, is used there. The heavens declare the glory of God. Yep, Somebody says, I can go out fishing and feel closer to God than I can a lot of other places. Well, okay, there's creation declares his glory. That's not an unusual thing. Um, but then later in the psalm, when you get down to verse 7, to know God personally, he switches. And he's no longer referring to this basic elemental word to refer to God. He's using God's name, Yahweh. In our translations, English translations, it says the Lord, and the Lord is all capital letters. It's the signification of the divine name in Hebrew. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And then he goes through about seven more different words, statutes, judgments, precepts, these different words that talk about God's word. And so this is tied to his name. To know him personally, you're not going to get into that personal relationship with God in nature. You're going to see what marvelous things he's done. You're looking at the different trees and you say, there's an apple tree and 
I can tell it's an apple tree because it's got apples on it, and I take a bite of the apple, and it tastes like an apple, but here's a pear tree, and if I take a bite of that, that's different. Here's an orange tree, and if I take a bite of that, that's even different yet. Take the peel off first. Everything, and they're all, where does this food come from? Out of the dirt. You plant a seed, the tree goes up out of the dirt. Where does the tree get nourishment? Well, it gets it from the sun, but it also gets it out of the dirt, you know? Uh, and But you take a bite of the apple, it doesn't taste like dirt. You take a bite of the pear, it doesn't taste like dirt. And it doesn't taste like the same dirt <laughs> as the other one. We look at the things that God has made, and his loving kindness, his benevolence is so obvious in all of his creation. And so we can get to know a little bit about God as we examine, whether it's outer space, or whether it's just how he's made things work. How does grass grow? All of our scientific ability that we have, we can't make a blade of grass that's alive and grow. We can't do it. We can make fake grass, astroturf. We can play football on it, but we can't, we can't do what God has done. Uh, his, when we look at nature, it's amazing at who God is and what he's done. But to know him personally, we've got to go to his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And all the other uh, uh, five or six other things that he says in there, it all has to do with, Going to God's word. Going to God's word is where that's where has he revealed himself. He has revealed himself in his word. How has he revealed himself? The greatest revelation in his son Jesus. How do we know about his son Jesus? It's in his word. We go to his word. We get to see Jesus. We know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about Jesus being the, 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 the word picture that you get in Greek is that, is that of a signet ring. And if you take a signet ring and stamp it into a glob of wax, it leaves that exact representation. That's the word that's used, I think, in most translation, the exact representation. Well, if you take the signet ring of God and stamp it into the clay of human flesh, what does it look like? It looks just like Jesus. He is the exact representation of God in human flesh. That's how we get to know him. We get to know him through his word. Um, And we need to continually gaze in the mirror of his word. Uh, to see him and see his glory revealed. Do we see his glory revealed in the world? Yeah. Uh, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. When we see how God has dealt with his people all through history, you go, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to trust him. He is worthy to be trusted. Uh, he can do anything uh, in my life that he wants to. He's uh, fully uh, faithful and true. So that's how we get to know him uh, and see his glory revealed as in his word. This is linked to the present verb continually being changed into the image of Christ. The transformation keeps pace with the beholding. We are being changed into the image of Christ by continuing to behold the glory of the Lord. It just makes you want to go read your Bible more than ever before. So, study the Bible in order to know him better, behold his glory, love him more, walk in his ways, be conformed or transformed, into the image of a son. That's from Romans chapter 8. And uh, then it's also good to learn Greek to, be better, to better understand his word and better communicate what God has said to others. So if someone is not growing or is stuck in sin, uh, I have to ask how much time are you spending in God's word? How long are you looking? How much time are you spending gazing at his glory? How much of his word have you even read? And as you read and also pray, uh, asking the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the wonderful things in His Word that comes from Psalm 119.18, then the Holy Spirit will use His Word in your life to help you to grow, to know God better, love Him more, walk in His ways, be conformed to the image of Christ.
Look at how far you've come. You know the Greek alphabet. You know the pronunciation rules. You can read the text. You could look up words in a lexicon as long as you know the alphabetical order. If you've got an old lexicon book, you, can, you know how to look up a word. If you have a word, uh, you know the alphabet. You can do it. You've had a review of all the major parts of speech that we, as we use them in English. So we've looked at English. You've seen how Greek is highly, a highly inflected language and that uh, the form of the word changes to tell you how the word is being used. Uh, that's true for everything, well, most everything. Nouns, adjectives, uh, pronouns, verbs, participles, infinitives, highly inflected language. Uh, you have seen some of the amazing precision and emphasis found in Greek syntax, and you've seen insights that are not easily seen in English translations. You've had a lot of information, and you guys have done a good job of hanging on to this the whole way. Uh, any questions from today or from any previous ones? Okay. So you can read the lesson notes, uh, note any questions, and bring them to me. Uh, continue to review the alphabet, diphthongs, uh, all the different pronunciation things. Uh, you can continue to practice reading John 1. Next week we will look at tools, books, apps, websites, and translations to answer the question, where do I go from here to continue to learn and get insights from the Greek New Testament? So next week it will be, we won't be looking at grammar. We'll be looking at tools you can use to find out some of this information on your own. I don't have to call Bruce to find out if that's an imperative. I can look right here. And it'll tell me. I don't have to call Bruce to find out whether that's a participle or a verb or how does this preposition supposed to be used. You can look it up. You'll be able to find it. And not that I don't want you to talk to me. <laughs> You're still welcome to come and ask me questions. But I, uh, but I want you to be empowered to continue to grow. And then as we talked about, we're talking about just doing a reader's group. I don't know when. We need to talk. Those are interested. We need to talk and see what common time would work. Because there might be people who aren't even here who might want to become a part of that. So let's see what works between us. And uh, I will try to stay flexible as possible to make that happen because this is my heart. And that's all. Thank you.